0: Listening to Changing Reality.
1: Changing Reality, where we bend reality all across the world. Only on WQHS Radio. So hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of changing reality. Welcome on welcome all if this is your first time on changing reality. It's so great to meet you guys changing reality is a show here on WQHS radio that features phenomenal people from all walks of life who are in essence changing their own reality. So we'll be hanging out and interviewing all kinds of people, from social change makers, entrepreneurs, uh, top consultants, industry leaders, business owners, to even artists, musicians, and inspiring individuals from all across the world. And by hearing their inspiring stories on how they are creating waves in the lives of those around them, hopefully we too are able to pick up the lessons, pick up the ideas and inspiration that they've had to change the world around us as well. And I wanted to do this show simply because I feel like there are a lot of people out there who do phenomenal things and make waves in the lives of those around them. And I'm super passionate about learning how those people are changing the world in their own capacity so that we can do the same as well. And just to show you how much I believe in the power of stories and the impact that the power of these stories can have, personally, I actually founded and run a youth movement uh, called Ascendance in Malaysia, which is an international youth movement that collaborates with not just um, ministries of education back where I'm from, but global organizations all around the world to provide an alternative education platform for any student who wants to change the world around so we work with students from elementary all the way up to college through various sessions programs experiential learning activities and projects that help them discover their passion learn about themselves but also the world around them through working with top executives or on their own impact projects so that they can come back and use those meaningful experiences to start their own careers while they're still in school and we've been very fortunate to date to work with over 35,000 students in 970 communities, and have incubated countless, or have incubated countless number of student-run projects and social enterprises run by students aged eight to 25 years old themselves. And this this whole platform is fueled by the idea of stories. It's fueled because of kind people who come in and share their ideas, their expertise, the things that they've gone through, so that other youngsters anywhere across the globe can learn from that as well. In fact, we just had a conference in September for over 50,000 students, parents, teachers, and partners from 28 different countries, all fueled by the idea that when we share what we know, when we share our experiences, no matter who we are, um, that experience can go on and change someone else's life. So if you have any other questions about it, do drop it in the show chat below. If you have any questions about changing reality, any ideas of the topic, or if you have a question for our amazing guest speaker for today, anytime during today's show, let us know in the comments so that we can take your questions as well. And Today we have an amazing guest speaker who has been a professional consultant for larger organizations across the UK, the US, Asia, both in a personal capacity and also on behalf of Cognizant, a company that helps others modernize, uh, modernize technology, reimagine their processes and transform experiences so that they can stay ahead in a fast-changing world. Today, he has moved to an extremely high role as the VP of Business Transformation at City. He's someone who works with these organizations to um, consult them on some of the latest things that's going on. So without further ado, let's now welcome our guest speaker to hear his story of how he actually began. So, Sarah, do well. we welcome you to our virtual stage here.
0: Thank you, Harsha, for having me here.
1: Thank you so much for joining us. How are you today? I heard that you recently road trip back and drove 800 miles back from Chicago.
0: I did, yeah. I mean, my, my wife had a, a, a show. I mean, she was invited uh, at, in Chicago to sing. So I went there, I drove, and I came back. So it's like 1,300 plus 1,300. So roughly 2,600 kilometers or 1,600 miles uh, both ways. Uh, it's a long drive.
1: Okay, wow. That is absolutely mind-blowing. Thank you so much for still finding the energy and the time to be on the show with us. I hope that you've had an amazing day so far.
0: Yeah. it's, It's good, yeah.
1: Yeah, and I think your story is something so interesting because you actually consult for some of these large companies that I mentioned earlier, from companies like Barclays. You even consulted for a while with Disney at a personal capacity. So a lot of amazing things, even before your time at City. But... I think the whole point of changing IT is is to kind of like backtrack and see how you actually got into this industry how you actually established yourself and it's very interesting because you actually didn't start in the consulting industry right if i'm not mistaken you had a bachelor's in computer sciences so how right. do you actually like how was the early part of deciding your career how is actually the beginning of your journey
0: like right i mean <clears throat> so i grew up uh, in a in a city called Kolkata, which is also called the city of joy in India, and uh, I, you know, my, my come from a middle class family. My father uh, was a chartered accountant and lawyer by profession. My mother was a government employee, and so they had, uh, you know, uh, they were a little bit busy. So when I was growing up in the uh, late nineties, early two thousand, uh, me and my elder sisters, we are under the uh, you know uh, under the supervision of our uh, maternal grandparents uh, our, our parents uh, you know and imbibed in us a sense of working hard the value of working hard that they have imbibed in us now as we we all know from different bollywood movies and we all know that you know middle class indian families in the 90s they had just two profession doctor or engineer so my my sister went for uh, medicine she went to medical school and I was kind of like pushed to study engineering. Nobody oh, really, one of both right So you had to nobody uh, <laughs> nobody really asked me whether whether I like it or not I was like destined to study that. So uh, yeah I mean so I, I can share a few incidents from my life uh, and and like kind of summarize it. what are the takeaways from my you know uh, at this age uh, after 20 years when I look back at those incidents, how what, what do I see? I can I can share some of them with you and I hope uh, it will be a little bit uh, helpful to the people mm-hmm. uh, to the audiences here. So uh, the first incident is you know when I was uh, when I was in class 12 so I was just before it was just before like six months from my uh, from my board exam and class 12 board exam is pretty pretty uh, important in every student's life at least it was when I was growing up. Uh, so I felt sick. To be, to be to be you know very honest and then when i say when i say sick it was like for four months i was completely bedridden so everyone was saying that you know don't take the exam etc etc and it was like impacting me both psychologically and i was already uh, pretty weak so uh my, my parents and particularly my mom uh she kind of like pushed me and said that no you have to take the exam you know it's a board exam you, you know make sure so i kind of like uh, uh, you know managed uh and took the exam, and uh, by God's grace, I it was uh, it was uh, I got a decent score. I got into an engineering college. Now, with all with this, this is a simple story to hear. But what I am trying to say is that you have to be resilient to the out. There are a lot of things which are outside and beyond your control, so you have to be resilient. That is the first takeaway I would say to my uh, young fellows. And the second one is interesting. I mean, when I joined my engineering college i was somehow not able to adjust both due to the fact that i was never meant for engineering at that point in time at least i believe and also the fact that uh, i was not able to adjust to the environment uh, and i now realize after so many years that uh, and at that point in time we didn't have that kind of awareness or even the openness to talk about i most you know I, I most probably have gone through a long phase of depression you might say now what happened as a result of that was i stopped going to college and nobody knew about it uh, my parents were unaware of, uh, of the fact that i was not going and when the results came out after one year um i was i was uh, second from the bottom in my department and it was a fiasco right people uh, my parents at least they didn't take it in a very good way so uh, what followed was, first of all, you know, they kind of like uh, not very happy. They, they you know, not screamed at me. But slowly I had a long conversation with my dad. And slowly, you know, I gathered myself and realized that I moved from a denial state to an acceptance state. That, yeah, I have to now study. I have no other alternative. I am in that process. Whether I like it or not, I have to do it. And then uh, I, I paired up with one of my friends friend um, who is now a professor here in the us he was also we are also in the same boat you can say and then then i realized that how do i you know it was not easy because i have a lot of backlog in knowledge so if somebody is studying uh, for say 7 hours i have to study for 10 hours uh, and from second year onwards so uh, i i did that and uh, uh, i was like you know finally in, uh, good things start happening i was ultimately graduating as uh, top 10 of my class of my department so it was it was good but what i would try to say is that in fourth year this is an interesting thing that happened uh you know in, in india we have the campus interview people in a lot of other countries we have that um, a, a big it multinational company came and they asked me you know i distinctly remember the 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 interviewer asking me uh Perhaps to break the ice, he told me that, hey, Sora, why don't you tell me something about your non-departmental subjects, such as maybe mechanical? Now I know at the back of my mind that I have never attended those classes in the first year. So I completely froze. And after that, what followed is he asked me simple questions from my space, and I even could not answer that because by that time I completely went blank. And I did not get the job. Uh, so people were a little bit surprised. My, uh, teachers and friends were a little bit surprised. However, what, uh, you know, what I'm trying to say with all these things to the people who is li- listening to us is that don't take anything lightly, you know, in life. You don't, whenever you're taking an action, there are consequences and you don't know when the consequences will be maybe two years, three years down the line, something I did which is incorrect in first year beat me on fourth year and completely unrelated. So I thought I'll get away with it, but I did not. Anyways, I <laughs> got a, into yeah, I got into a, company, but yeah. So, so that was yeah. it. that was couple of things that I would like to share from my very early days. And once I get into the, uh, you know out of my college, I was working for IT multinational. I was not really happy, you know, and I had a little bit of research bent of mind, I still do, Um, and uh, I applied for a PhD program at IIM Calcutta, and I got uh, admission there. At the same time, I have applied for an MBA uh, at uh, Asian Institute of Management, Manila. Now, it was 2007, very interesting time, when the financial market was at its boom, you know, it was like terrific career for to be in the i-bank you know investment bank now uh, i thought you know that was exactly my plan that i in two years i will be out of you know I, i'll just be done with my mba i am i'll either uh, be in i bank in in either singapore or hong kong that was exactly my plan in 2008 2007 and with that idea i joined uh, my course Uh, and i went there i I remember the date was 15th of august 2008 i i I landed in manila Uh, uh, and and, uh, on september with just within a month from that time september 2008 we had the global financial crisis and then we had the big collapse from you know that the Lehman brother it it collapsed so I, i remember that day it was the mid of september 2008 i was just you know i was sad and i was just Telling myself, oh boy, you know, there goes your dream of becoming an banker. I was just standing behind the Manila Bay and I was just thinking. So uh, there's no shortcut in life. You know, uh, I mean, there's no, you have to be really passionate about something and then get into something. That's the takeaway from this. You
1: know? But that is, that is a very crazy story because you, you can imagine like, like if the whole industry collapsed overnight and you're, you're just in that path and all of that. At that point of time how did you feel and how did you move forward because i feel like we're in a position right now where a lot of people plan to do something and then a pandemic came for two years and disrupted all of their plans and then now that things are starting back up they are a little bit lost of where should they go and what should they do and i think that and maybe it's a milder version of what you were feeling at that point of time when you had to change your plans as well, so how did you even dis- like think about what to do next? So, like, like there's so many things you could have done. You could have like the options would seem very much different now that the first plan that you had fell through. So, how do you yeah. even decide what to do next?
0: I think we. It is very sad when when I, when I thought about uh, the, the the batch of 2020, 2020 2021, that they couldn't, uh, you know, or this COVID thing came into the came out of nowhere. However, you know, these things have happened in the past. If you look at the 1997, we had the Asian crisis, you know, uh, at least from a job market standpoint. COVID is very unique because you can't even attend the class. That is very unique. But from a job aspect, uh, it has happened in 1997 when the Asian market collapsed. It has happened in 2002, dot-com bubble collapse. It has happened in 2008 when the financial market collapsed. So multiple times in the history, and if you have studied economics, you will understand that there is a concept of business cycle, right? So that there is a there is a peak, and then there is a uh, then there will be a downside. Right now, we are we have you know it's it's in the history. Uh, I think it's it's the longest expansionary period that we are going through. That means we have the last recession that we had was 2008. Until now, we hadn't have any. We don't have any recession, which is great. But that does not mean that. Uh, you see what happened in China, right? A few weeks back, the, the, the collapse in the uh, that, that big construction company uh, failed to pay their money. So we don't know exactly what uh, awaits for us. So what, I'm, what I would tell everyone is that you should have a plan B always. Don't get fixed on uh, anything, you know, that, that I will have to do this thing. Yeah, it's good. You know, you should have a, but you should always be a little bit of flexible. And what if it does not work? So you have, should have a plan B always in mind, in my opinion. So, yeah, that will be my answer to that.
1: And for you back then, did you already have a plan B or were you having to come up with a plan B at that point of time?
0: No, I didn't. So I am, this, I am telling you <laughs> so that you don't have to learn the hard way.
1: <laughs> so,
0: so I learned it the hard way. So I was like, uh, I, I was at a loss. I was thinking, what should I do? And, you know, this was my, uh, at least my, I cannot say my dream was to become a I banker, but at least I, my wish or desire was there.
1: the dream at that point of time.
0: <laughs> yeah, and then I say that, okay, then whatever next best solution or, you know, whatever I have, I'll take that. But on the top of that, you know, I, I, to add to that, I will say, you know, one, another couple of things happened during my uh, M- MBA stint is that I went to a school which was founded by the Harvard folks in the 1960s and it was absolutely it is still that absolutely case study oriented in 2008 i had no idea what the heck that means you know what 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 what, what that uh, case study st- you know uh, mode of uh, you know uh, you know interaction mean and when i understood that i realized that in a class of 100 i have to uh, like snatch a few minutes or maybe not not even a few minutes or maybe a fraction of a minute and then because we have 60 minutes and there are 100 people everybody wants to uh, talk so i have to do that and i have to make some meaningful argument such as so that my professor or whoever is marking me you know uh, basically uh, uh, gives me a good grade so that was the when i realized that i was not very i was extremely scared the primary reason being i know i had this problem of you know like when I speak fast, I, I have to do a conversion in my mind from my native because I'm not a, a native English speaker, uh, and and I have to do a conversion first of all, and then I have to place my argument. If I do the try to do both things simultaneously, and then speak also, there is a high chance that if I have to say A followed by B followed by C, I might saying B followed by C followed by A, and the person hearing will not be able to make sense in you know, any sense out of it and so i was not really i was really scared that i have to do i mean i was good at math and all those things that i can manage but at least this thing's communication was not really a uh, forte on the top of that the first week we are there i remember they gave us a psychometric test and it's basically an mbti mayor briggs personality test and for the people who who don't know it it's a, it's a personality test which which categorizes a person in one of 16 personality types now and and the i don't know the the reason that they conducted the test and i was even not aware of this test when i initially took that i thought it was a fun so i you know answered 150 questions now when the results came out i realized and then they gave a distribution like for example personality x 15% so that means 15% of the batches belong to personality X, something like that. Now, I realized that I am, I belong to a personality type, which is 1% of the batch. This is the first realization. And then uh, if you, if anybody is aware of MBTI, he or she will understand that if you can go to the website and they can, uh, there are multiple websites and they give you some sort of a indication of what should be a preferable career path for that personality type. Hmm. So I know my personality type and I went, obviously I everybody was inquisitive. So I went to the uh, couple of websites and I made a lot of searches and I realized that what came out of those, you know, the preferable personality profession that the sites or the, you know, some very authentic sites were suggesting was to be a priest,
1: <laughs> to be
0: a healer. <laughs> to be a psychological counselor, a social worker, like this kind of, which is not bad, but it it is very different from my idea of being an investment banker or in consulting that space.
1: I think it's the exact opposite, but okay.
0: So I was not really, I mean, I, I remember I was very disturbed and I talked to my father that, you know, I think I made a mistake of leaving the PhD. I should, I, you know, I am meant for that. I am not meant for this. My father said that, you know, you are in that, you are now in that, uh, like, that that assembly line. You cannot really do anything. So I said, okay. And then I realized that in order to deal with this scenario, and then one day I tried to make some argument in class. I raised my hand and I tried to make an argument, and I messed it up as as expected. And I remember, and if some of my friends are there, uh, uh, they will also remember Everyone in the class laughed, and they even banged the, uh, you know, to make fun of me. I mean, so uh, I was really not very, you know, comfortable with it. Then I realized how to deal with the situation. Then I formulated two strategies. Strategy number one: If some case study is due on, say, say day after tomorrow, everyone will read it the night before that. Typical students. I will read it the night. You know, the two nights before that so that I have one day to think so that I am very well aware with the subject. That is strategy number one. Strategy number two is since I have, you know, a problem of making a coherent argument and also converting from my native to English, I will try to jot down the arguments, maybe in a cryptic form. Nobody needs to understand, but I will understand in some cryptic form. uh, in a, You know, in, uh, so that so that when I make an argument, I know everything is in a mental picture. You know, everything is in a pictorial form in my ma- brain. When I followed these two strategies, things started, you know, I started making, you know, whatever I wanted to say, I was able to say. And within that period of time, because you cannot take too much air time, then it will not be considered good. And the professor started liking it. Uh, not all the students will like my point, obviously, because they might have counter views but uh i think uh i and that that helped me a lot i ended up being in that uh actually in the top 10 of the graduating batch so that was helpful this strategy helped me but it was not easy because you have to understand i am reading two days in advance so i have to put a little bit of effort so
1: no no but that is absolutely brilliant because i know a lot of people who are like you extremely smart and extremely genius and i think even myself at times um as you said it's just the the time taken to process the information and kind of like put it into a coherent sentence and then say it in a way that makes sense. It takes some time. So so writing it down something that helps me personally. I think after a print I started doing it a lot more diligently um, to make sure that what I'm saying makes sense. But for a lot of other people out there who are right now, they aspire to be in a line which is very communication heavy. Like consultancy is something that you need to have very good communication and things like that. And especially for those who maybe are leaving college right now or looking at the working world, how does this translate or how does this? Or how do you apply this in a real-life situation where you have to communicate with people um, on a day-to-day basis, think on the spot and all that? Because it is very helpful, and I think you are the expert in communicating. And a lot of the people that I work with may not have English as their first language. They are extremely intelligent. It's just that, as you mentioned, there's that translation lag time. There's the time it takes to put it down and think about it so what's your advice for those people in sense in that situation
0: so consulting you know uh, i have been in consulting for almost more than uh, i believe almost close to 14 15 years and uh, what i have observed is there are a lot of myths about consulting right so we we always think that so consulting what what is consulting for example you are heavy, you are my client you have a problem you are you give me the task to solve the problem that is uh, a type of consulting. Another consulting is that you don't even know what your problem is, real problem. Most of the time, that is what is happened. The client doesn't know what the real problem is. They just know the symptom. They just know that you have, you know, I have fever. I don't know the cause of the, Obviously, the, he, he or she doesn't know the uh, root cause. Uh, now, the the real work and so what consultants? I mean, the way we way typically in a B school. Consultancy start is, I don't think that's correct. Uh, most of the B schools, the reason being, they focus too much on, uh, you know, flary uh, PPT and and all those things. And I mean, PPTs are important. I do that every day. Uh, but 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 um, less on uh, less on substance. When I say substance, I mean. And that's when uh, maybe in the later part. I realized that I should be doing another degree. That's when I went to NYU Stern and uh, studied the uh, business analytics because I realized that, you know, there is a concept of HIPPO, H-I-P-P-O. It means highest paid person's opinion. So what happens is, and that is a very dangerous thing. What happens is, uh, you know, somebody like I am there and a lot of, a lot of, mid or mid to senior rank people are there and then there is a senior management or ceo of a company whatever he thinks he or she thinks people tend to agree people don't question them now uh the reason i'm and, and the reason i'm saying this is and this has happened for uh, extremely talented people like uh you know jeff bezos you know the amazon chief they they, they started a phone for uh amazon like five six years back it was an extreme you know huge failure then there was then there are people um, you know like uh, if i was the name he was the ceo of jc penny here you know all, all these people even even you can think about to some extent uh, you can think about this in terms of the tata nano project you know it 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 was it was per car uh, they were making loss if you are if you make loss per car you obviously you cannot have your fixed cost um, you know uh, uh, covered so anyways so so these kind of things happen because Mostly, so the, the work of a consultant. So what happens is that in the B-School, they will teach you mainly about uh, your gut feel, you know, instinct, you know, all the, and, and, and flary language and all these things, less focus on data. That used to be the norm, like six to seven years back. Now, everything has to be, they have under, uh, understood the fact, the importance of data. And now, if you see most of the B-School, they have introduced courses on data science, they have introduced courses on business analytics 10 years back these courses never existed and 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 even new new profession is coming into the picture for example earlier like 10 20 years back you only used to have a cf ceo under him or her there will be a, C, a cfo a cmo a chief financial officer a chief marketing officer a chief hr officer chief operations officer that's it boom and then there will be rank and file people nowadays you see cdo chief data officer cao chief analytics officer so this kind of you know chief cto chief technology officer why these pictures are this this thing new new profession or new roles are coming to the picture because people have realized that you know you have to delve much deeper to sustain in this competitive world and the the the, the, the art of consulting it doesn't mean that you will baffle someone with your flurry language you need to have some very data-driven Analysis. So to the budding consultant, my suggestion will be uh, focus more on analysis. When I say analysis, I mean to say you have to be a little bit good with numbers. You cannot just uh, just uh, rely on, you know, at least with data. The data is not 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 uh, number is very good, but data you have to be good. With. So sk- data skills becoming very important. And also it's not necessarily that you will always give something which is which doesn't exist, like you know, very counterintuitive. No, you can give a, a recommendation which substantiate the client's standpoint. That is also fine. I mean, for example, the client believes that you know this is these are the things, but you do a but that is his belief. You do an analysis and you then back to your argument with data and confirm his belief. That is also a good good consulting. So consulting doesn't mean that he will be you know coming up with some new theory always. It comes, if it is, if it does, uh, if it is something counterintuitive, it's very good. If it does not, then it's also fine. So, yeah, to answer your question, consulting has many aspects.
1: So it's not about coming up with some, like, as you said, something with a lot of flair, a lot of Mm -hmm. um, drama and all of that, or something like completely out of the norm. It is really about following the story, following the numbers, understanding the actual thing, diagnose and saying it as it is in a way okay that's a very interesting thing this is something that i'm assuming you got through experience that you learned over time and all of that but how would you like when you first started out in this industry was was this something that you like like you immediately got or like like tell us the beginning stories of your consulting journey
0: so uh i'll tell you one interesting story you know uh uh, my my boss uh, in 2010 uh he is now, uh, I, mean, I think he is now retired, or he is the partner of, of of my earlier firm. He told me that one, two things are important. One is your performance. That is very important to, for you to rise in your life. Another thing is your perception. What other people perceive about you. That is, And both the things have to be in sync. You cannot have someone high performing without any perception. I have seen a lot of people like that. They are really good workers, but the, the boss doesn't perceive them in that way that they're good workers. They will never get promotion. Very sad, but that's true. On the other hand, I have seen another another spectrum of people who are all about perception with no substance. Now they can succeed in some long uh, short term for some time, but in the longer term, in five to ten years down the line, they will be caught, and you know they will be out of uh, business. So both the things are important. That 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 is very important. My my supervisor or my boss told me, and um, but there are a lot of hiccups, right? So for example, I was a reasonably a good performer in my organization, and I was expecting a promotion one year, and uh, uh, I, you know, and, and and I did not get promotion somehow. So I was sad. So a partner of our firm in the US, uh, he called me up and he said that hey, don't worry, you know all these things. Um uh, next year you will you are going to get the promotion. I am there. And before hanging up the phone, I mm-hmm. it was six, seven years back. I remember he told me that don't worry, I am here and I'm not going anywhere. This was the month of November end 20 2015, maybe yeah, 2015. And by January 2016, he was fired. Entire restructuring <laughs> was done. And you know, entire my a new boss came in and in that year also i didn't get promotion because it's touching it happened so thing was i was obviously very dissatisfied but what i am trying to say is that we expect the unexpected things so things are very you know a dynamic in nature uh, you have to be really uh, you don't know what will happen so but it's sometimes at the hindsight uh, i have learned in a hard way from all these things that uh, you know they, you have to have a plan b you have to expect the unexpected things and you, uh, it, it's not about uh, flary language. It is important, but it's also about the substance, uh, your data, and all these things. So this is how I have learned uh, over the few years. Yeah.
1: That's a very nice way of putting it. And I think that when you speak a lot of truth, I think people tend to focus on one rather than the other at times. Some people say, just do the job. The job will speak for itself. Other people will say, you need to put, put yourself out there. And I think you merge both perceptions very well. Okay, it's very interesting.
0: Yeah, you, need to, like- you need to yourself also right you need to market yourself but that marketing cannot be just based on uh, just like that you know just it cannot be something which is empty so it has to be backed by some substance uh, so yeah as I say both the things have to be there. sorry go on.
1: Hmm. Thank you, thank you for sharing. When you are actually working with your clients, when you're working, when you're consulting on different cases, that also requires you to have to do both in a sense, perform well, but also kind of like be credible in the solutions you're proposing in the consultancy that you're giving to your clients. What are some of the most interesting stories you have where you've had to do this for
0: the clients that you work with? Um, You know that, So i had the opportunity uh, i believe to work in india for some time and in uk uh, for a very brief period and then um, for a reasonably long time in the us uh now again i mean i cannot stereotype it but the the uh, the culture is very important right so different country one thing is very sure most of the time what happens is that as a consultant when i go now i am no longer a consultant i am on the other side of the uh, uh, picture now but in but earlier, yeah in my in my past life i was like consulting ro- in a consulting role now initially they don't trust you they cannot trust you right because you are an outsider and you you have access to their data their process everything you know their risk and control you know a lot of things about them so they don't really and you know their weakness the weakness that is inherent in their system and in their process the way they run the business so they don't want to share the first problem you you, you feel you know you get is that they, they will never share information with you right so uh, uh, that's that, that's the barrier number one so you have to break the barrier you have to earn their trust when i say earn their trust means you have to you have to tell them you have to do something for them what they have not asked you to do that's the first thing you have to do something for them in in a in a professional world the work that is given to you, you are doing, that's fine. But you go over and beyond. Because consulting, what happens is that we work for a fixed number of hours and we build based on that hours. That's how the arrangement happens between a consulting company and a client. You are working on ground and you are dealing with a client person, you know, who, who may be a rank and file person because you have to get the data from there and only. And the most challenging project till now I have faced uh is a bank is a big financial organization in india uh in 2012 it's the most challenging project till date I, I i used to work for i remember 2012 may june july i used to work for 16 hours every day and 16 when i say 16 hours i mean to say 16 hours so i just had the time to take bath and some little bit of sleep and that's it it was very very challenging project uh, primarily because that bank was Doing you know there are a lot of things happening, but the primary reason, if I just, it was not so. The so if you, if you group it right, so problem can be with technology, problem can be with process, and problem can be with the people. Most of the time, we have seen that the problem is with people. Technology is very easy. You have there are so many technologies in the market, and it's not a, it's not a big thing. Process is number two. Number one is people. dealing with people is extremely critical. And, and uh, you know, you have to, so I remember I, I, I really earned their trust and, and it, it was not an easy thing. They were there, they were, I, I was working in Mumbai and they were not really, they were not really open to me in the very beginning. They were not at all cooperating with me. But slowly and slowly, they if they have asked me to do, if I am assigned XYZ task, I did that. And on the top of that, I stayed much more. You know, I never billed for those hours initially at least for the first one month. I stayed one or two hours more every day in the office with those persons. And so that they un- they get a feel that I understand their pain. You know, yeah. that is very important. The moment you earn that trust, then uh, slowly and slowly things where they were opening up, they were started sharing the data and the process weakness and things become very clear but uh so my, my point is for a consulting budding consulting this is very important don't just think that you know you will work for eight hours and build for eight hours no 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 it doesn't work in that way you need, in initial phase you have to work for 10 or 12 hours with the operations people who are actually running the show and then you gain their trust then they understand uh, then they become very friendly with me and you know i am in touch with a few of them in 2021 also it's almost more than nine years now So I I work in a different organization. They work in a different organization in India. I am here, but I'm still in touch over LinkedIn with uh, two or three of them. So uh, it's it's a more of like a relationship. building.
1: That's a very, very good point. And I also like that part you brought up where it could be a problem with the technology, the process or the people. And I agree that many times it is the people that actually need a bit of a a change in either mindset or a change in either the way they approach things, but it's also the hardest to actually, I would say, diagnose and work with people. in a it's,
0: sense. it's very, very hard because people are complex to deal with that. Right? They have a, for example, whenever a consultant, consulting company goes to a client, the operations people think that they will be fired. These guys, what? are coming <laughs> here, they will change the process. And and this is the mindset. This is the mindset, right? They, they, are, they are going there. So that's, that's a, that there's a fear psychology and that's, and that's why they don't uh, most of the time they don't share the data uh, so but that's not always the case i'm not not saying that is i cannot say that is never the case but that's not always the case so you have to you have to really uh, understand their actual pain you know the real pain they are going through in, in the operations because operations work day and night uh, almost 24 hours i have seen them working it's really really so uh, so that, that, so I think, I think compassionate, it's, it's, it's a very, it's, it's not a, people think that compassionate means to spirituality and uh, religion. Compassionate has nothing to do with that. I mean, it has a lot of things to do with that, but at least in the professional world also, I think compassionate, being compassionate is very important. That's how I
1: that is something that I agree with too. And I think that your Mayas Virk's personality test maybe wasn't too far <laughs> off in that case.
0: Oh, yeah, you- yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> no i mean i mean like i i think it's a very good point and this is something that i feel is often overlooked by many people and and based on my perception it's like when 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 people are trying to change something or when they when something needs to be changed there's often a lot of resistance or even when you when you come in you propose a solution and things like that especially when it's regards to people and even process at times it can be followed for a while but eventually people the the, the resistance to change comes back and either they fall back to their previous habits or they uh, or, or they find new issues in a way yeah. what's your advice to ensuring that change is sustainable and that it's long term is that even possible is that a myth that we can actually change or like how do we actually get people to change like genuinely in a sense
0: I don't uh, uh, okay I I, I agree uh, uh, change is required uh, but what I don't really agree and particularly in the first paced technology is that you know if you make a change and if you then if you stop doing anything you know it, it will not work so you have to make changes at a constant uh, rate otherwise uh, you know, soon you will be out of the, you know, out of the com- your computer. So it's computer not world. one
1: fix all solution. Yeah, yeah it, will,
0: it will never be one fix. And that is true for not only for the, and see, nowadays we cannot even really distinguish between a technology firm and a non-technology firm. For example, say Visa, it's, a, it's a, they sometimes call themselves as technology firm and they are into a cards processing, right? So You have a Visa card and all these things. They're not technology. They could be, how do you really, so the the, the demarcation between a technology firm and a pure play financial or a fmcg company is getting blurred day and day because technology is everywhere so you cannot really say that you know i am a proctor and gamble and i am only focusing on some uh you know uh, how the retail shops will uh, you know look like or the user experience and even the user experience needs a lot of technical uh, input so uh, so Uh, I think technology is all pervasive and uh, the demarcation between a technical and non-technical firm will just uh, not be there in a few years from now. Hmm. Every firm will have to be a technological firm. So that's how I like it.
1: I think so. I think I think that's a very good prediction. I'll hold you to that. (laughs) You also mentioned earlier that now you're on the opposite side of kind of like the story. Like previously you were in the consultant's shoes. Today you're in the corporate shoes in a way. What is the biggest change in perception that you didn't expect when you came into this corporate, like this very senior role in this corporate job where you probably have to interact with a lot of consultants and a lot of people in the organization itself?
0: I think the biggest difference in in, uh, being on the other side is that a consulting firm, a pure play consulting firm, if I talk about, if you talk about the big force or even, you know, the other like McKinsey or or big, very big consulting firm, you know, they, by their structure, they are very nimble, they're flexible because the problem with, and the, for example, the company that I'm currently working or for that matter, any mid-sized company, right? They have so how if you have to look at it, how they have grown. They have grown in two, three different ways. One is they have acquired small companies and grown over the year. Now the interesting thing is that you have company A. You acquire company A in in two thousand. You acquire company B in two thousand five. Acquire company C two thousand ten. Like that, a lot of firms have grown, particularly the banks. Now you see these firms, firm A firm B, firm C, which you have now acquired, they are all in different process and technology. Now you are, they're all under the same com- umbrella. Now they all talk different language. They have disparate systems. How do you really uh, get into a seamless interaction between them? So it's, it's and that I, I, I have seen that happening with many companies in my consulting world also. And right now I am in a company, exactly the same thing. I experienced that they have different systems different uh you know different uh, technology for example for data visualization you know there's a data visualization right we have charts and all these things and there are multiple tools i'm just giving an example there is a tool called power bi there's a tool called click there's a tool called maybe something else uh, now i mean when, when i in my company same department they use three different tools for data you know data visualization so the moment you do that, you are adding complexity. So that to answer your question, the, the, the biggest challenge for these farms, like big farms right, you know, is that they have different layers they have over the years they have built you know the, the ecosystem, the te- technology ecosystem or the technology stack is really like if There are too many layers into it. and they have to simplify the system. They have to really and nowadays, I am watching this very carefully most of the banks at least the banks i can say for sure they are focusing on this because one if one banks do one bank does it other banks they also in the same league they will follow if they have money they are trying to do a lot of simplification of this process because they have realized that to compete in this very uh you know in this ever-changing environment they have to be nimble and they cannot really do that with so much baggage of disparate technology so make it simple and make it data driven because that is very important as i told you like hippo hippo is actually there, highest you know uh, opinion they are actually there so they are trying to make it so if you go to a person they will say that you know i think that there are problem with this most of the statements are like this they will never tell you that i have data backed my opinion you know opinion so most of the things are opinion or judgment there's no there's no data uh and to be, you know, followed. That's the challenge with this kind of, and they have a lot of data. For example, Verizon, you know, they have so much data, like even Citibank or even other banks, they have like like so much uh, d- data in them, but they just they just sit idle on the data and they're still in the world of Excel. And Excel is very good, but they're still <laughs> in the world of Excel and uh, not really utilizing uh, the other analytics tools because that's and i'm talking about big banks i mean not not just uh you know the small run out of the mill company they are the big bank they have a lot of money but they're still in that mode so that changing the mindset is uh, very important yeah. that's and, for companies. company so.
1: no 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 i think i think you explained it very very well and and i feel like many people try to bring businesses through this whole like transform businesses from point A to point B or bring them through at least the changes that's kind of facing. And as you said, it's another ending process because new things are always going to crop up just when we thought we can figure things out a little bit better. We had the pandemic, as I mentioned, and everyone had to rethink every aspect of the way they did their business again. And now I've, I can only imagine the challenges that lie ahead As someone in a business transformation role, how, like, like, what's your secret in being able to manage all of this? It's a very, like, fast-paced role. You work with both the data and opinions, as you mentioned. How do you manage all of this?
0: So I think, uh, you know, one important thing is data and all these things are fine, right? But the most again, the most important thing is that you have to identify people who are influencers in a company. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of people, a lot of stakeholders who are, uh, you know, if you you imagine a person can be very highly influential in a company, but he's not really engaged with what you are doing. He doesn't care. So your approach to that kind of person will be different than a person who is very engaged, but not so influential. You know, there are people like that. They're very engaged, but they're not influential. Now, so, and, and there can be people who are, they, they are they are influential and they are resistant to you they're resistant because they think that uh, you know they, they, they don't want the change so identifying and classifying the stakeholders and then developing your strategy to attack each one of them is very important because uh, it, it has to be tailor-made and and you know and so it has to be customized and you say okay this person so to answer your question transformation is about process and technology correct but as I said earlier, technology is the easiest. Process is the ne- next uh, hard, or you said, and changing the mindset of the people and getting them do the work, you know, by uh, that is I think most important. And then, so identifying the right stakeholder, classifying them in proper bucket, and having a very well thought strategy is I think most important.
1: All right. Very, very well said. And as we start to now I think wind down our conversation a bit, I have to ask for all of the, the youngsters who are coming into the working world right now, um, they may not be concerned with the, what where the business is heading at the C-suite uh, level. Oh, they may not even be aware of where the business is heading, where it's being transformed and things like that. But still the things that you mentioned are very important. Being able to identify the influences, being able to understand the biases in opinion, being able to see the data clearly, even the, the performance and the the perception part that you mentioned earlier. So in a, for someone just starting out, what do you think is the most important thing that they have to know in order to have an extremely successful career, navigating the different people that they meet in this career.
0: I think first of all, which is which, seem like very basic and very uh, obvious, is that there is no shortcut to hard work. There <laughs> cannot be any. I mean, a lot of people talk about smart work and all these things, which are good. I mean, smart work is good, but uh, I don't think there is any any. Uh, at least, I don't believe there is any um, you know anything other than hard work in a long term. Uh, Another thing I will suggest is that, and we can have another session if you like uh, someday with young folks. Is that I have seen people working in banks; they have very limited financial literacy. They don't know. I mean, basically, at the end of the day, we are working to earn money, and we are running an enterprise to earn money mainly, until unless you get into that self-actualized state of Maslow's hierarchy. But having said that, you are you are in that. Uh, you want to earn money, right? So, But I have seen people, uh, they don't really uh, invest uh, or even if they invest, they invest in wrong instruments because they don't understand the whole gamut of, uh, you know, uh, basically uh, investing. For example, if I ask you, Hasha, tell me what will be the uh, stock of Apple uh, three months from now or four months from now, you'll probably, most of the people who are hearing, they will start with today's price, They will calculate a historical average rate and then they will say after three months, this may be the rate of stock. The basic problem with this kind of approach is that you have taken a wrong base. Who told you? Because the price of Apple stock today and the price of Apple stock in a depression time may be completely different. So you have to have that, so your base is incorrect. And then you are applying all your logic on that base and you are definitely going uh, in a wrong direction. So what I'm trying to say is that this kind of very basic financial literacy and what is your risk appetite? How much you want to invest for how long? You know, for example, uh, you know, uh, you you might be investing a lot, but then you are like taking the money out every time that that may not work. So you might need to have a balanced approach of, hey, I want to invest this much of money and I will not touch this money for so many years. When I say invest, I mean to say it, it needs to be again proportionate between um, shares and, uh, you know, basically bonds, which is in India is called fixed deposits. But I don't know what it's called in other countries, but basically bonds. So this kind of thing. So this kind of approach. And that also varies on your age. At my age, at your age, you can go full bang into, uh, you know, into the share and money market. I cannot. I have to be a little bit risk averse. And then a person, uh, maybe at the fag end of his career, he has to be absolutely discovered. And then, you know, so so that kind of approach. So financial literacy is very important. Data literacy is absolutely important. And it has to be part of your, should be part of a curriculum, uh, uh, which which is not there. Uh, you know, and, and I believe that because if you don't, if you're not a person who is backed by data, you will end up getting into a lot of bias in any decisions, you know. Mm-hmm. For example, I can tell you a very good example, you know, there is, for example, if if you buy something, you know, for example, if you follow keto diet and you are, you are a believer of keto diet, say, for example, that means most, most of the time what happens is subconsciously or unconsciously, you will search or watch videos, which are, you know, benefits of keto diet. Facebook, Google, a lot of other search engines, they understand your search pattern and then they will start sending you those news feeds which are related only to the benefits of keto diet and that reaffirms your biases it's called confirmation bias it reaffirms your belief system and that's a very dangerous thing you know this kind of this kind of bias comes uh, into the picture you know and for example you are very much into buying say like procter and gamble goods like pampers say for example somebody buys pampers now if if he goes to a shop and he doesn't find pamper you know, and if there's a clever marketer, he will design a product which looks, or the packaging looks, very much like Pampers. Then he will, he will, in in your mind, you will associate the outward characteristics of the product with its inward intrinsic characteristics, and you will end up buying the product. You will think that, hey, this guy looks like Pampers. That means it will have a very similar quality of Pampers. Also, and Pampers is a just an example, but I'm just saying that this kind of this this is a bias. So a, a person who is like data-driven should be dispassionate and ideally should be dispassionate of all these biases. So a data literacy is absolutely important. And I think, uh, you know, like, I think asking a right question is very important, right? Smart question, specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, (laughs) bound. (laughs) So that is absolutely important because if you get a wrong answer to a right, I mean, right answer to a wrong question, you are not going in the right direction. Okay, that's so, a good point. <laughs> so, so I think these are the things people should think about. Uh, yeah. So that is how I, I look at it. Whatever Amazing. my experience. Amazing. I
1: and there's so many gems from this conversation. There's so many things I think we can all take away. But I have to ask one final question in a sense before we can wrap up and go back and re-watch this and digest all of the important things we've learned. But... Looking back, in a sense, you started as someone who was very much, I would say, like us Gen Zs are today. Many of us are probably uh, in the similar position that you were when you began, where we may not know what we want to do, or we may be doing something that we're not passionate about, or there may be other things that bother us and prevent us and from moving forward. But despite that, you rose in your career, you rose like, pretty amazingly in the work that you do, in a sense. So looking back at your own journey, what is like your message to us youngsters who would have been in the same place that you were when you began as well or if you could send a message back to yourself back then what would it be
0: <laughs> Yeah I think I was very confused number one uh, very uh, I think I, 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 I was pretty mediocre I, I would say uh, uh, as a, as a, I was not a, definitely not a in a, in a top quartile. a student uh i was mediocre i was confused only thing i I, and and i think i had is uh probably a a little bit of research bent of mind when i say research bent of mind, i mean to say a little bit of asking why you know a little bit of this kind of things uh was there in my mind i still like to ask that question and another thing is that uh you know the the, the profession is just a part of you right so i (laughs) try to meditate I try to uh, learn piano uh, a little bit. I've started learning it at this age even. So I think having a secondary passion, you know, which is not related to your work, that is very important. If you are only focused on your work, uh, I believe you will soon burn out. So you need to have something which is not related to your work. It can be uh, even writing a book or running a marathon. That could be anything, you know so uh, that kind of thing is very very important what what you 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 think right that running this show and all mm-hmm. this thing i think this is amazing i mean i really envy uh, the young stars today they are doing amazing work uh, 20 25 years back when i was 20 years back uh, when i was growing up i mean it was only engineering doctor at the most chartered accountant you know that's it i mean if you are a little bit uh better students i mean you will do that you know and there's no imagination People were right now there is so much of i i, I just envy you guys I, I I if i could have time travel myself i would have come to
1: <laughs> your
0: maze and uh see that but yeah I, I, kudos to you guys
1: thank you very much i think that means a lot to me and to every other Gen Z and youngster watching this. And I really do hope that this session inspired our audience as much as it inspired me. We have a lot of nice comments actually pouring in from the audience who are agreeing with a lot of the things that you said. Both as a professional and as an individual, and also in your thoughts about the industry and the work that's going on. And personally, I feel like this has been a very insightful session for both people who are just starting out and people who may be stuck somewhere looking at what they can do next. So, thank you so much for joining us. And I thank hope you enjoyed today's session and our chat today as well.
0: Anytime. Yeah, I like it. I like talking to younger people because they bring fresh ideas, right? So, they are like, you have to be in touch with them.
1: All right. Thank you so much. And to our audience, thank you for joining us. This has been another episode of Changing Reality. We are on Thursdays at uh, 10 p.m. ET uh, in uh, from WQHS Radio and wherever around the world that time is for you guys. So thank you once again for watching. And see you again next week. Bye. You're listening to Changing Reality. Changing Reality, where we bend reality all across the world. Only on
0: WQHS Radio.